The following audio is from Christian Heritage Church. More information about Christian Heritage Church is available at chctoday.com. You can turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 5. We'll get there in just a few moments. But today we're talking about the story in the book of Exodus of our redeeming God. And how because of what He has done in us and through us and for us, through Jesus Christ at Calvary, we have been transformed and we have been changed once and for all. However, sometimes people think that because I came to Jesus, that means every problem disappears in my life. There's no more challenges. I'm living on the mountaintop. I never walk through the valley again. Everything becomes hunky-dory because I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Can I tell you that's just not true? Can I tell you that's Peter Pan theology? Can I tell you that doesn't work today, it didn't work yesterday, and it won't work tomorrow? But what we do need to understand is when we encounter problems, when we face challenges, when there's obstacles in front of us, an enemy in our face, we can declare, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. We can declare I'm more than a conqueror through him that loves us, whose name is Jesus Christ. So when we look at this series again this morning, there's several things I want you to realize and understand. Number one, I want you to acknowledge that what you see is not always what's going on around you. Sometimes things look pretty bleak and pretty black in terms of your vision. But you need to understand that even in those dark places, God is still at work. He's still moving in your behalf. He's still fighting for you. He has an answer, and if you'll be patient and you'll be faithful, you'll see that answer come to pass in and through your life. Too many times we give up just before the answer is provided. Too many times we throw in the towel just before we receive the promise of God. So I want to encourage you today to remember what you see is not always what's going on. Because God is at work regardless of where you can see it and recognize it or not. He is at work because His Word declares it to be so. So we need to understand that. Kind of reminds me of the lady who went to lunch and while she was gone, her boss took what he thought was an aspirin out of her desk because he had a raging headache. When she came back, he said, I hope you don't mind. I grabbed an aspirin out of your desk drawer to help my headache. She said, oh, I don't mind at all. And the good news is you won't get pregnant either. What you see is not always what's going on. We need to understand that. So many of us have disappointments. So many of us have plans that don't come to pass. Maybe it's failing grades. Maybe it's a rejection in romance. Maybe it's growing debt. Maybe it's chronic pain. Things that come against us that make us think God is not working in my behalf. But I've come this morning to tell you that God loves you. He sees you right where you're at. He does have a plan for your life, and he wants to minister in you and through you so you can see he really is at work in you. He's not just an observer. He's not just casually standing by, but he's watching. He's watching over you. He's investing in you. He's encouraging you and strengthening you. So take your assurance from the Word of God and realize you were created for a purpose He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem you so that you could live victoriously and wonderfully for Him. Can somebody say amen? What's happening is not always what's going on. We need to realize that. What you see is not always what's going on. Kind of reminds me of the singles ad that was posted in the Atlanta newspaper 
read something like this. A single black female seeks male companionship. Ethnicity, unimportant, but prefer a Christian male. I'm a very good girl who loves to play. I love long walks in the woods, riding in your pickup truck, hunting, camping, and fishing trips. Cozy winter nights, lying by the fire. Candlelight dinners will have me eating out of your hand. Afterwards, I'd love snuggling up with you. I'll be at the front door when you get home from work wearing only what nature gave me. Call 404-875-6420. Ask for Ginger. I'll be waiting. And as a result, 15,000 men called the Atlanta Humane Shelter looking for Ginger. What you see is not always what's going on. What you see is not always what's going on. Come on, somebody needs to get that in their spirit. What you see is not always what's going on. God is at work whether you see him or not. God is at work whether you can experience it or not. God is at work making his plan come to pass in your life because that's what the word declares. What you see is not always what's going on. And then we need to realize when we look at the book of Exodus that sometimes things get worse before they get better. And that doesn't fit with our theology either, does it? But it's simply the truth from Scripture. And if you've lived longer than three seconds, you know it's the truth in life as well. Sometimes things get worse before they get better. We need to understand that. Read it in Exodus chapter 5. You'll see it says this word, this, these words in the last verse of chapter 5. Moses complaining to God. From the moment I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, things have only gotten worse for this people. And rescue? Does this look like rescue to you? Now understand the backdrop. In the previous chapter, Moses and Aaron had approached Pharaoh for the first time, and they said, you need to let the people go so we can go worship our God in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, let them go. Are you kidding me? If they have time to take a trip to the wilderness and worship this God, whoever he is, then they have time to work harder. So Pharaoh immediately says in chapter 5, sent the word to the slave masters, to those in charge of the Hebrews, take away the straw that we've been given them to make brick. Make them find their own straw and don't release the portion of brick they have to make. Keep it the same. The Bible says they labored under harsh oppression. The Hebrews were toiling because of what was going on. Now, we understand that God called Moses from the wilderness to deliver Israel, right? That's what the Word tells us. We understand that. But yet, when we look at the Scripture, put it back up there one more time, chapter 5. Put it up there one more time. I want you to see it. When you look at the Scripture, you understand that sometimes things get worse before they get better. He said it this way, from the moment I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, things have only gotten worse for this people. And you sent me to rescue them, but God, what part of rescue are we seeing right now? They're not being liberated. They're not being set free. As a matter of fact, it's worse now than when we first approached Pharaoh. Does this look like rescue to you? Sometimes things get worse before they get better. Moses was frustrated. He was ready to throw in the towel. God, this thing just isn't working. I don't know why you want to keep pushing me down this direction. It's not working. 
Israel's more abused now than they were before I came and spoke to Pharaoh. Their life is harder. Things are more difficult. There's more oppression and more pressure on them than they've ever had before because I chose to obey your word and go speak to Pharaoh. Now, I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but somebody needs to get this. You've stood on the word of God. You've declared what God said to you to be true, but it seems things don't get better. They only get worse. Well, I've got a word from the throne from you. God is not a man that he should lie. And if he's spoken, he will accomplish it. And it's your job not to moan and groan and grumble and complain and say, rescue. Does this look like rescue to you? No, it's your job to draw a line in the sand, to plant your feet and say, I will not be moved from the word of the living God. Or somebody needs to hear, maybe it's just me, but probably some of the rest of you need to hear that as well. You say, well, that's one time in Scripture. Oh, folks, can I tell you, the Scripture is full of these examples. I'm going to give you one very quickly, Judges chapter 6. If you want to turn there in your Bible, I want to show you exactly what happens sometimes when things get worse before they get better. It's a story of Gideon. It's amazing to me, sometimes when God gives us a problem, a promise, we also get a problem. That doesn't fit very well with our theology either, does it? But when God gives us a promise, sometimes we get a problem. So you can read the story of Gideon. The Bible says in chapter 6, verse 1, that because Israel disobeyed God, he released the Midianites to oppress them. and They suffered for seven years. And then in verse 7, it says that he heard their cry, and so he sent the angel of the Lord in verse 11. Now we're picking it up in verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him, speaking of Gideon, and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. That's the promise, okay? Everybody got the promise? The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Now, was Gideon a mighty man of valor? You have to know the backstory. He said, I'm the least in my father's house, and we're the least in the tribe of Manasseh. When the angel of the Lord appeared unto Gideon, what was he doing? Was he out conquering and was he out proving himself a victorious man of valor? No, let me tell you where he was. He was in, the, in a hole in the ground in a wine press, grinding a little bit of wheat so they'd have meal to make bread for their family. And he was doing it because he was afraid of the Midianites. He was doing it because he knew if he did it in the open, where people could see him, where the enemy could see him, they would come and take what little he had. So he was hiding what he had, trying to provide for his family. He wasn't a mighty man of valor. He was a coward. He was a coward. The angel of the Lord spoke by grace what God had already put into him. Oh, hear that, some of you. You need to understand, you may be in a hole in the ground. You may be cowardly. You may be hiding. But God is saying to you, when you came into Jesus Christ, I put something into you that I'm going to pull out of you. And it's going to be powerful and mighty when you choose to walk in faith. Story goes on to say, Gideon said, with me? The angel said, the Lord is with you. He said, with me? You can read it right there. It says, with me, my master. If God is with us, why has all this happened to us? If you read the rest of that verse, he said, where are the miracles our grandfathers told us about? Where is this God who does such great and mighty things? Matter of fact, the last of that verse, he said, the fact is God has nothing to do with us. He turned us over to Midian. Where's God? Where's God? 
You say, he's going to be a great deliverer and he's going to use me to do it. Where is this God you're talking about? I haven't seen Seven years we've been oppressed. Seven years you gave us over to the Midianites. Where is this God? And the angel of the Lord spoke into his life and he said, you will save Israel by the might that's in your hand. Listen, you need to catch that. He said it very specifically. It's not something new God's depositing in you. It's what he's already deposited in you that he will use to bring salvation to Israel. Some of you are waiting for some miraculous thing to occur. Lightning to strike from heaven. The voice of God like a big booming voice. Someone writing a sign in the sky. And God's saying to you, I've already given you everything you need for life and godliness. Step up and step in. Get rid of that cowardly spirit. And understand he has a plan for your life and for mine. So when I look at that, I realize that God then uses his enemy. He uses his enemy to take him to the next level. Where was Gideon? He was at a hole in the ground. He was grinding out a little bit of wheat so that he have some bread. The angel of the Lord said, you're a mighty man of valor. By the might that's in your hand, you're going to save Israel. And Gideon said, well, you're going to have to show me a sign. And you know the story. There was a miracle that occurred. And, and then the God, God said to Gideon, what I want you to do is I want you to take down the altar of Baal and cut down the pole that's beside it. What's he saying? He's saying, I want you to lead Israel back to true worship of the living God. I want you to show them you can't follow this false God and have his blessing, my blessing in your life. Come on, folks, we need to get that. It's a principle that still applies. We can't follow false gods and have the blessing of God in our life. We can't play both sides of the fence. It's time to decide whose side you're on. Be all in for Jesus Christ. Let him move through you. I love the story. It continues to say in chapter 6 that Gideon wanted to obey, but he was afraid of the people. He was afraid of the people if he tore down the altar of Baal and cut down the pole, the graven image. He was afraid. So he did the next best thing he did it at night. He didn't want to do anything openly. He didn't want to do anything where people would see him. Oh, come on. I tell you, this story is so relevant to the Christianity today. I'm okay being a Christian as long as I do it inside these four walls. I'm safe here. No one's going to hassle me here. No one's going to bother me in here. Well, you might be surprised by that too. Can I say that? You really might be surprised. As long as I don't have to take my faith out there where it's on display, where it's open, where somebody can see it, I'm happy to do whatever he asks me to do. Gideon said, well, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it at night because I'm afraid of the people. So it says he got his servants and his two oxen and they tore down the altar of Baal and they cut down the pole. They rebuilt the altar of God and they sacrificed the second oxen on the altar. Then it says at daybreak the next morning, the men of the town woke up and they saw the altar of Baal was down. The pool had been cut down and there was a bull burning on the altar. They said, what's going on? We didn't approve this. Nobody asked us for permission. Can I tell you, you don't need permission to invade the territory of the enemy. You need authority. You need anointing. You need the word of God in your life. And that's all you need. You don't need permission. To invade the territory of the enemy. And so they started asking around, who's done this thing? We're going to kill him. Well, that's why Gideon was afraid, because he knew the the response. And it came out that it was Gideon. 
So they went to his father's house and they said, send your son out. We're going to kill him because he's cut down our altars. And the father said, hey, if Baal's a god, if he can defend himself. He doesn't need you. And then we see they backed off. And then God called Gideon to rally the army against the Midianites. When you read on in the scripture, there were 135,000 Midianites arrayed against Israel at that time. Gideon sent out the call, 32,000 soldiers showed up. And he thought, well, 32,000 against 135,000, not bad odds if God's on our side. Would you say amen? amen? Pretty good, actually. But then God said, now you got way too many because if I deliver through 32,000, you're going to think you did it instead of I did it. Wow, that's powerful. That's powerful. You deserve the glory. You deserve the honor. You deserve the praise. You do miracles so great. Oh, come on, somebody get that in your spirit. I don't care what you can do. I care what he can do through you. He said, that's way too many guys. Let's sort this bunch out a little bit. Tell everybody who's afraid to go home. 22,000 of them went home. 10,000 were left. Still not bad if God's on my side, 10,000 against 135,000. And then God said it again, no, sorry, still too many. Still too many. I can almost put myself in Gideon's place, scratching my head saying, too many? I don't think we got enough. We need to call some of the other tribes to come and help us. This isn't enough. God said, no, still too many. Take them down to the brook, down to the river. And the ones that get down on their knees and drink from the water, send them home. After that little test, 300 were left. God said, that's about right. There's no way you can take the glory for that. There's no way 300 can defeat 135,000. He gave him the battle plan. He said, you're going to go at the middle watch of the night. You're going to give each man a trumpet, a pitcher, and there will be a torch inside that pitcher. And when you shout the sword of the Lord in Gideon, they're going to blow the trumpet and break the pitcher. The torch will shine and I will give the victory. That's exactly what happened. Exactly what happened. The 125, or the 135,000 began turning against themselves, destroying themselves. Gideon his 300 began chasing them. No, here's the good part. All those that went home afraid, suddenly they had courage. Oh, can I tell you, somebody's waiting for you to step up. Somebody's waiting for you to have courage so they can follow you. Somebody's waiting for you to step into their life and say, if God is for us, tell me who's against us. Somebody's waiting for you to stand up and stand firm and say, the lie of the devil is still a lie. It doesn't matter how how many times he tells it, how he changes it. It's still a lie. And we will stand firm in the truth of God's word. Somebody's waiting for you to step up and stand in so they can follow you. They can follow you. They begin following. The route was on. Other tribes began joining in. And they destroyed the Midianites. Took them out. They were no longer a problem through that guy who God found in a hole in the ground. Who was afraid of his own shadow. But who God said, I've already put something in you. That's going to make a difference through you. And you will be the deliverance for Israel, my people. 
Oh, get that in your spirit. No one understand that God used Gideon's enemy to bring him to the next level. Oh, folks, if there's never a test, if there's never a challenge, if there's never a hard time, if you never have to dig down and say it's going to be root hog or die, you may never see the power of God in your life. But if you will get something in your spirit, if you'll get some metal in your spiritual backbone, if you'll say, I don't care what the devil says, I'm not moving from what God has declared and God's word will come to pass in my life, then you're giving him an opportunity to work. But if you tuck tail and run every time a problem shows up, you're going to live defeated. You're going to live oppressed. You're going to live in depression. You're going to live in agony. You're going to be one of those people who say, well, I tried Christianity, but it just didn't work. No, you didn't. You tried some homogenized version of the gospel. You tried something that has diluted the gospel to nothing more than a quick little pill you can take on Sunday morning and everything's going to be okay. I've got news for you. God's looking for men and women who says, put an enemy in front of me and they'll take me to the next level. Because when I face the enemy, I'm going to dig down deep inside. I'm going to know the word of God is mighty in me. And I'm not going to be dissuaded. I'm not going to be turned aside. I'm not going to turn tail and run. I'm going to stand and see the salvation of the Lord. Get that in your spirit. Sometimes when he gives us a problem, we get a, a promise, we get a problem. And he uses our enemies to take us to the next level. To take us to the next level. This is what I want you to hear about Gideon. You need to know if God is working for you, then it's working for me. What do I base that out in Romans eight twenty eight? That's what the Bible tells me very clearly through the hand of the Apostle Paul. He said it, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now leave that on the screen for just a moment. You see it? It says all things. I highlighted that. Change the color so it jumps out at you. Do you know what that word all means in the Greek? It's the word pas, P-A-S in Greek. Do you know what that means? Anybody know what that means in Greek? It means all. That's exactly right. It means all things. It means there's nothing that's accepted from that. It covers every calamity, every problem, every enemy, every circumstance that comes into your life. If you love God, all things work together for good to those who are the called according to his purpose. Somebody ought to be shouting now. Why am I the only one excited in this place? All things. Oh, the Greek says all things. And it means all things. Nothing is exempt from God's purposes coming together to work his best for my life. Oh, that's pretty good stuff. Man, we need to sell that one. You need to get it in your spirit. It's all things that work together for good. It may not look very good to you at the moment. You may not be able to see what God is doing, but I've come to tell you, even when it looks like this is not rescue, he's still a rescuing God. He's still working his plans and his purposes in your heart and in your life. See, you need to remember, when the plagues were poured out on Egypt, the Hebrews went through the first three. Their water turned to blood, just like the Egyptians' water turned to blood. The frogs came and invaded everything, just like it invaded the Egyptians. And the lice came just like they came for the Egyptians. Why did that happen? 
Because all things work together for good. To those who are the called according to his purpose. That's why. Because Israel had to come to the place where they understood God is almighty. God is powerful. That what he declares through his servant Moses is going to happen. So they had the courage and they had the faith to continue following him to deliverance. That doesn't fit very well with your theology either, does it? You mean to tell me God let that stuff happen? You bet he did. To put him in a position to trust him. To put him in a position to follow him. So that takes us to number two. Don't change your theology because of a tragedy. Don't change your theology to accommodate a tragedy. Do you understand so many of us do that? Well, obviously, if I was where God wanted me to be, this wouldn't be happening to me. If I was where God wanted me to be, my spouse wouldn't have had cancer. If I was where God wanted me to be, my spouse wouldn't have died. If I was where God wanted me to be, my teenager wouldn't be in rebellion. If I was where God wanted me to be, I wouldn't have lost my job. If I was where God wanted me to be, I wouldn't have had to file bankruptcy. If I was where God wanted me to be, I wouldn't be facing all this opposition. Oh, hear me. Never change your theology to accommodate a tragedy. Because even when you can't see it, God is still at work. Oh, Miss Edry, I want to brag on you for just a moment. You lost your husband a few months ago. But I've seen in your spirit a steadfast faith that says, I will not turn back. I will not turn around. I am not giving up. I'm going to pursue a living God. God is all I need. And he will see me through. Oh, come on, church. Get it in your spirit. Never change your theology to accommodate a tragedy. Doesn't work that way. Remember the verse we started with? Moses said, does this look like rescue to you? Since I stood before Pharaoh, it's only gotten worse. Then we move to chapter 6 in Exodus, verses 1 through 13. I'm just reading some highlights. He says it this way. Now you see what I'll do to Pharaoh. This is God speaking to Moses. Now you see what I'll do to Pharaoh. With a strong hand, he'll let them go. And with a strong hand, he'll drive them out of the land. God continues speaking to Moses, and you need to hear this verse. Reassuring him, I am God. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as the strong God. Listen to this. But by, but by my name God, parentheses, I am present, I was not known to them. Somebody needs to hear this. This is spiritual truth this morning. Israel had a knowledge of God based in the past, based on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They'd been over 400 years in the land of Goshen, out of the promised land God had given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had forgotten the kind of God they served. They viewed him as the God of yesterday, not the God of today. And some of you in this room have that same stinking thinking. He's the God of your grandma. He's the God of your mom and your daddy. But he isn't my God. You got the same problem the Israelites had. You don't understand. By his name, I am present. He is here today. He's in the middle of your mess. He is ready to step in, to take control, to prove himself mighty and powerful. If you'll get it this morning, you'll know the God who says, I am present. I am present. He's the same God that says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He's the same God that says... When you pass through the fire, I'm right there with you. 
When you walk through the waters, you're not going to be overcome. He's the same God who says, I have redeemed you. I've called you by your name. You are mine. The God of the present. The Israelites didn't understand that. The Hebrews didn't get that. You need to understand today this thing of serving God. It's not about history. Although there's a great historical precedent that we stand on. And it's not just about someday over yonder we'll all be happy. But it's about the fact that there's a God of the present that's in my life today that fights my battles for me, that speaks a show word into me, that declares you are more than a conqueror. It's a God of the present who never leaves and never forsakes. It's a God of the present who watches over me to keep me and cover me. It's a God of the present. They didn't know me. As I am present. They only knew me as the God who was. And then verse 13 of Exodus chapter 6. Hear me, God's word never changes. If he speaks it, it's going to happen and come to pass. His word never changes. It doesn't matter who rises up, his word never changes. Come on, it doesn't matter what's happening around you. His word never changes. I told you last week, you need to hear the Word of God. Stop looking at what you see and start listening to what He's speaking and put your faith on what you've heard, not what you see. His Word never changes. You can read it in verse 13. Excuse me, let me back up on to verse 9. Verse 9, one slide back, please. Therefore, excuse me, when Moses delivered this message to the Israelites, they didn't even hear him. What message? Well, what we just read. I'm the God of the present. I'm going to deliver you. My word is still true. When he delivered the word to the Israelites, they didn't even hear him. They were beaten down in spirit by harsh slave conditions. I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook. But last night, for some reason, I had it on about 9.30, and all of a sudden, this friend request came in. Never heard of this person, so... You know, I go looking, who is this? And I found out this girl is from Arkansas City, Kansas, where I had pastored, you know, years ago. And so I accepted her friend request, and then here's a message. Thank you for accepting my request. Okay, whatever. You're welcome. And then she said, are you from Ark City? I thought, good grief, I don't want to get into a long conversation on Facebook at 9.30 at night. It's time for me to go to bed. I get up early on Sunday morning, so I go to bed on Saturday night. I don't stay up and watch John Wayne until midnight. I go to bed. Or whatever it is you're watching. Because I need to be here early so I can be on time. Amen. So she sends me the message. You're from Ark City. I send back. I pastored there from uh, 1986 to 1993 at First Assembly of God. She sends back, well, I don't go to church. I thought, oh, great. Okay, God, obviously you got me into this thing, so let's see what's happening. I don't do messages on Facebook. I don't do that stuff. And believe me, never again on a Saturday night we'll open that up. I'll learn my lesson. Never heard of this girl. She's uh, probably 18, 19 years old. She said, I don't go to church. I said, why not? Because God's never done anything for me. I said, what do you mean? I'm not going to immediately counter that. What do you mean? Explain to me what you're talking about. And then she went into this detail about how bad her life has been. How she can't trust anyone, how she refuses to allow God to do something. 
And then I said, well, what you need to do, because the pastor in Ark City was saved when I was there. He's a great man of God. He preaches under the anointing. He's a man of faith and power. I love James Newman. I hope he watches this and hears that. I said, you need to go to First Assembly tomorrow morning and let Pastor James Newman pray for you because God will move through him to bring deliverance and liberty into your life. Then she came back, I can't go to church. And I sure can't let anybody that I don't know pray for me. I said, okay, I'm going to pray for you right now. And I did. And then I hope she's listening. I'm telling her story. Because I said, what you need to do tomorrow, if you won't go to church in Ark City, tune into CHC today, go to Watch Live, and I'm going to be preaching to you. So if you're listening to me this morning, it's time for you to surrender to the living God and let God break every chain, snap every condition that's controlling you, and set you completely and totally free. Come on, would somebody agree? I want to pray for her right now. Would someone agree with me? Lord, I lift Paige before you right now. I believe she's watching this live stream. And I pray now the power of Jesus Christ. Invade her heart. Set her free. Break every chain over her life. Release this child of God. Lord, the mere fact that she continued a conversation with me on Facebook after knowing who I was and what I represented tells me that she's looking for an answer and she needs relief. So Paige, I'm praying right now for you. In the name of Jesus, be set free. In the name of Jesus, every chain be broken over your life. In the name of Jesus, from this day forward, you're a new creature. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. Oh, come on. Would you show her how much we love her? Even though we're a thousand miles away, we love you. We believe in you. God has a plan for you. He is a redeeming God. He is a redeeming God. Israel didn't even hear him. Because they were beaten down in spirit by the harsh slave conditions. Some of you, that describes you. You can't hear God because of all the oppression that's going on in your life. Today, you can be set free. Today, God can liberate you so you can once again hear his voice. But God's word never changes. Go to verse 13. Moses has complained. God has reaffirmed. He's told God that they wouldn't even listen to what I told them because of the harsh slave conditions. Then verse 13, it's as though God didn't hear anything he said. I love that about God, don't you? You can whine, you can moan, you can groan, you can complain. You're not changing his mind. What he's declared will come to pass. Just a matter of you getting aligned with his word and his will and letting him do it in you and through you. Look at that, verse 13. But God again, I like that. God again, this isn't the first time. Again. Listen, God has patience for you. God is long-suffering towards you. God desires for you to get it, so he's going to say it again. But God again laid out the facts to Moses and Aaron regarding the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he again commanded them to lead the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. God again laid out the facts. God again commanded them to do what he told them to do. His word never changes. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never 
pass away. You can read it in Psalm 56, verse 4. It says, in God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? Where's my trust? It's in the word of God. Where's my hope? It's in the promise of God. Where's my future? It's in the declaration of God. Oh, come on, church. Get it in your spirit. In God. In God. I have put my trust and I will not fear. You can read it in Jeremiah 1.12 from the Amplified Bible that says, I am alert. This is God speaking. I am alert and active, watching over my word to perform it. What is declared will come to pass, even if you can't see it going on around you. Psalm 139 verse 12, it's a fact. Darkness isn't dark to you. Darkness and light, they're all the same. Read it from the New King James. Darkness shall not hide from you, but the light shine, night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both the same to you. Now here's my point with giving you that scripture. You can't always see what God is doing in the dark. You don't always know what God is bringing to pass in and through your life. It may be dark to you, It may look gloomy to you. It may look hopeless to you. But I've come to tell you, darkness and light are all the same to the Father. And the darkness doesn't prevent him from working. And his plans will be accomplished if you'll put your hand in his. He will do what he's declared he can do. Is there a scriptural reference for that? You bet there is. 1 Samuel chapter 22. It's a story of David. As a boy anointed to be the king over Israel. Found favor with Saul, the current king. Became a mighty warrior, the leader of Saul's army, the leader of his own personal bodyguard. Killed Goliath, fought the Philistines, was a great and a mighty warrior. But then something happened to Saul. He became jealous. The Bible says his jealousy turned to hatred. And he began hating David because of the success and the blessing that God had placed on David's life. He began hating him. He began conspiring to kill him. He wanted to do away with him. So much so that when you get to 1 Samuel chapter 22, David has left Jerusalem. He's fled to the wilderness to a cave on the backside of the wilderness called Agilom. And in that cave, he starts licking his wounds. No, he doesn't. In that cave, he finds 400 guys just like him. Matter of fact, let me read it to you, 1 Samuel 22, 2. All those who are in distress or in debt or discontented, that's the kind of church I want. <clears throat> I'm joking. Everyone who was in distress, everybody had a problem. Everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him and he became the captain over them. I I think David is thinking, what's up? I'm to be the king of Israel. Now I'm living in a cave surrounded by this rabble. And these weren't just tough guys. They just weren't guys in distress and in debt. They weren't just guys with problems. These guys were the original mafia. They were going to stick together. These guys were so tough it made Al Capone sleep with his nightlight on. These guys were so tough you didn't want to make a noise around them. Except for David. 
And it became his lot in life to take these 400 that soon swelled the 600 and form them into a disciplined fighting force to fight the Philistines. Even though he wasn't the king, even though he'd been rejected from Jerusalem, even though Saul was trying to kill him, he still pursued God's plan for his life. Well, somebody needs to hear that. Quit saying, I can't do it because pursue what God has placed in front of you, regardless of the obstacles. Regardless of the enemy, regardless of what you're facing, don't turn back, don't turn away. Matter of fact, if you go to 2 Samuel chapter 23, it was from this 400 that 37 of the bravest men of the Bible who have ever lived came to David's aid and fought by his side the entire time he was the king of Israel. The 37 mighty men of David. I don't have time to go into it this morning, but you should write that down. First, or Second Samuel chapter 23, verses 1 through 37, and go home and read it this afternoon. Let it inspire you. And then remember their origins. They were these guys who were in distress, who were in debt, who were discontented. That's where they came from. What am I telling you? I'm telling you, it doesn't matter where you're at today. The God of heaven has a plan for your life. And if you'll put your faith in him, he'll take you from being distressed, take you from being in debt, take you from being discontented, and put you in a place where you're a mighty man or a mighty woman in the kingdom of God. What transformation. Someone said, why did God do that? Did he do it to punish David? Hardly. Hardly. That's more of that stinking theology that causes you to give up when tragedies happen. No, that's no way he did it. Difficult times are never meant to punish us, but to prepare us. You need to write that down. Difficult times are never meant to punish us, but to prepare us. Just as God used Gideon's enemy to take him to the next level, God used this situation to prepare David to be the king of all of Israel. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. I shared this scripture in staff meeting this week. It's just driven into my heart. I can't get away from it. In the previous verses, Peter's talking about the fact that because we have Jesus Christ, we have the hope of heaven. Eternity spent with God. But then he goes on to say these words in the last part of verse 6 and verse 7. Even though you have to put up with every kind of aggravation in the meantime. Now, how many of you came this morning to be blessed, to be encouraged, to walk out hooping and holler and dancing a jig because God is just so good? You have no problems. That doesn't fit, does it? Man, why do they do that? It's so much easier to preach a message that makes you want to get up and dance and shout and sing. But can I tell you, that word won't take you through the tough times. This one will. Peter said, you need to understand, you've got a hope in heaven. You're going to go through every type of aggravation, but listen to it. Verse 7, pure gold put in the fire comes out proved pure. And he says, faith, when put through this suffering, comes out proved genuine. I don't know about you, but I want my faith to be genuine. God put me in the crucible and make my faith genuine. When Jesus wraps this all up, it's your faith, not your gold, that God will have on display as evidence of this victory. Oh, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. When it's all said and done, it isn't what I have, it's who I have that's going to make the difference in eternity. It isn't what I acquired, but it's who has bought me that's going to make the difference in eternity. 
I want to be a child of God. I want to be a son of the Most High. I want to be an heir of Jesus Christ. And that's what it says could be my price. Go through every kind of aggravation, but in the end, it's your faith that's going to be displayed. You need to understand that in Christianity, sometimes things get worse before they get better. Really do. But God is still at work. Even when you can't see Him, even when you can't feel Him, even when you can't know He's there, He's still at work. You know that old song, when you can't see His hand, trust His heart. That's what we have to learn to do. We need to understand in those times, God is not hiding things from me. He's hiding things for me. Things that are going to be revealed in and through my life. I look over this church and I say, God, your promise was to fill it up again. What's going on? What's going on? See, I can't see everything that's happening in the spiritual realm. But I stand on the show word of God that have told me if I'd uproot my life, move to a place that I'd never been, take a church I didn't know anything about, he would do a miraculous work in that place. Some days I feel like Gideon. Some days I feel like David. But some days I know that I know that I know my Redeemer lives. And he's going to honor his word. And he will bring it to pass. He will bring it to pass. Disciples had that problem. Remember what I told you last week? When God does something you don't understand, it's to teach you something you don't know. Yeah. The disciples had that experience in Mark chapter 4. Jesus said, let's get in the boat and let's go to the other side. He went to the back of the boat, put his head on a pillow and went to sleep. The storm blew up. It was so violent that they were afraid they were going to drown. They are going to die. Finally, they woke him up and they say, Master, don't you even care that we're about to perish? And Jesus stood and rebuked the winds and the waves. And then he said this. He reprimanded the disciples. Why are you such cowards? Don't you have any faith at all? When God does something we don't understand, it's to teach us something we don't know. The next verse says, verse 41, they were in absolute awe, staggered. Who is this anyway? The wind and the sea are at his beck and call. Well, they knew a little bit about him, but they didn't know all about him. They knew he could work miracles, but they didn't know he was the king of nature as well. When God lets us do through, go through something we don't understand, it's to teach us something we don't know. And God revealed that to them in a mighty way. You can read in John chapter 9, there's a story of the man who was healed on the Sabbath day. The Pharisees begin debating about Jesus. Is he of God or is he of the devil? We don't know. We don't understand. Who knows? The blind man finally stood up, and this is what he said to them. You say you don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Hear me today. He's looking for people who are listening. He's looking for people that will say, even though I don't understand, even though things have gotten worse before they get better, I'm going to stand on the assurance of the Word of God, and I'm going to believe that what you promised, you are able also to perform, and you're going to count it to me as righteousness, because I choose to believe the Word of God. I choose 
to stand on our side. Remember our excuses, our fears, our worries, our anxieties. Never change the Word of God. Never change the will of God. Never change the plan of God for your life. One last scripture and I close. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. The Apostle Paul wrote it this way. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Sometimes things get worse before they get better. We see it in the life of Moses and the Israelites. We see it throughout the scripture. But you need to come to the place where you say, I will not change my theology, my belief in who God is and what God has said because of a tragedy that's occurring in my life. I'm going to stand on the word of God. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed across this room. Stand with me. You're in this room today and you say, Pastor, some things that you've said this morning, the Holy Spirit has used as daggers into my heart and into my life. And today I want to respond to Jesus. I want to let Jesus do something in me. First, if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, never ask Him to forgive you of your sins and to change your life. If you were to die today, your eternal destiny is hell, not heaven. That's you. Today you need to get things right with God. Have your sins forgiven. Your life transformed. Let Him put something in you that's going to see you through the days that are ahead. That's you. I'm talking to you. You need Jesus. Would you lift your hand right where you stand and say, pray for me. I need Jesus in my heart and in my life. Lift it, hold it there. Yes, 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 others. Across this room, yes, others. Others, I need Jesus. Yes, others. Across this room today, I need Jesus in my life. I need Jesus. Anyone else? As I wait just a moment, every one of you with a hand raised, step out where you're at and come right now. Come on. From each side, from the risers, step out and come. Come on. Come on. Let God meet you in this place. Come on, young man. Come on. God wants to do something in you today. Come on, join us. Thank you for listening to audio from Christian Heritage Church located in Tallahassee, Florida. Feel free to give copies of this message to others, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Christian Heritage Church, please visit us online at chctoday.com.